0: I feel the need, the need for speed. But is speed really necessary in jiu-jitsu and self-defense? Find out in today's episode. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host Sri Pendikatla, and joining me is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree
1: black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. It's awesome to talk to you again, Shihan. It is awesome to talk to you again, Sri. I'm excited to talk about today's subject, which is how fast can you be as a martial artist?
0: Yeah, that's right. Everyone wants to execute techniques at lightning speed. You know, we see that in the movies, we see that in the UFC, and supposedly in real fights as well, but as a jiu jitsuka how should we train to be able to execute techniques that fast, and really is that fast necessary, and how fast is fast enough?
1: That is a great question, because, you know, over the years, so many students have, have asked me that question, so it's obviously on people's minds, how fast do I need to be to make this work in reality? Let's tackle this subject like we often do, kind of scientifically. We'll tear it apart a little bit and look at each aspect, and then we'll come to a conclusion at the end. Speed is relative. I didn't say that, but I, I'm pretty sure Einstein did. It's relative to your situation. And I've used this scenario to describe speed many, many times. I'm sure you've heard me say this, but it's it's just such a great description because I equate speed with familiarity and unconscious response, I don't really associate it with fast or quick. I, I associate it with unconscious kind of movement. And I'll get into that a little bit more. But let me let me put this scenario in front of you. If you remember yourself or maybe you're somebody that has kids, you know, you can think of this situation of them brushing their teeth. You know, the first time you, you tell your kid, hey, we're gonna brush your teeth you know, you put some toothpaste on that little toothbrush and you kind of hold their hand while they're holding the toothbrush and you brush their teeth a little bit and it kind of feels funny to them. And, and you do that for a while, right? That, that may go on for a year or so until they figure out how to do that. Well, then finally you kind of let them do it on their own and well, they brush some of the brushings on their teeth, I guess. And then there's a lot on their face and on their lips and on the counter and, on their hand. So they're they're not really proficient at it. They get the concept, but there's they're still working on it, right? So that that goes by, takes another couple of years and you know, now you just brush your teeth every morning. Well, time goes by, time goes by. You wake up every morning, you brush your teeth, you brush it before bed. Next thing you know, you know, you're you're in college and you you're, you're brushing your teeth with one hand, you know, you're flipping the pages of a book while you're kind of studying on the other side. Maybe you reach, grab a cup of coffee and take a sip and they are like, oh, I shouldn't drink coffee while I'm brushing my teeth. That's horrible. Right (laughs) now, now now we've moved to, we're we're 25 or we're 30, right? And we're we're going to work in the morning and we kind of wake up and we grab the toothbrush and we're brushing our teeth and, We're hopping around, putting on a sock, and we've got the news on, and then we look at the watch. uh, Damn, it's time to go, and the whole time you're brushing your teeth. Well, the whole point of this is by the time you're doing that, you're not even thinking about brushing your teeth. I don't know. Were you doing it fast? Were you doing it slow? I'm not not sure, right? You you were doing it as fast as you needed to do it, but you weren't really even thinking about it anymore. It was just a, a movement that's been kind of burned into your brain. You know exactly what to do because you're familiar with it. You've done it for so, so long. And if you think back, wow, it used to be a mess, but now it's like nothing, right? You can do three things at once with it. And that's really what speed is in the martial arts to me. It's about doing something so many times under so many different situations, under pressure, doing it slow, doing it with an opponent doing it in all kinds of situations that you just become really, really, really familiar with. Let's just pick a jujigatami, an armbar. By the time you train five, six, seven, eight years, I mean you've done literally hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of armbars from all different positions. Sometimes when you're out there doing nawas or whatever, an armbar just appears. You don't even know how it got there. You're like, oh my God, I'm I'm in an armbar. That's just awesome. You have no idea how because it just kind of occurred and your brain recognized it and the next thing you, you know, you were doing an armbar. Were you fast? I don't know if you were fast. You were the appropriate speed. I don't think you tried to go fast because you were just familiar with the situation. And that is what speed is to me. Being familiar enough to be able to execute a technique unconsciously at whatever the appropriate response speed is to the attack. Because it would be inappropriate. If somebody attacked me, I'll make up a speed of five miles an hour and I responded at 10 miles an hour. That wouldn't blend. That wouldn't work. It would, it would end up being sloppy or even vice versa. Maybe they attack me at 10 miles an hour and I respond at five miles an hour. So now they overtake me and I'm not able to execute the technique. So it's not really about that. It's about the relative speed. If somebody pushes me, And I'm going to use that push as Kazushi to turn around and throw an Ipansio Inagi or an Agoshi. I have to do that at a matching speed or I will overthrow him and I'll fall down or I'll underthrow him and he'll knock me down. Right. It's that sweet spot in between. So that to me is what being fast or having speed in the martial arts is about
0: let's talk about the psychology of it a little bit. It's obvious that nobody thinks a sloth is cool in, in the slow <laughs> movements that it has. Right. Everyone thinks a, a cheetah is cool because it runs fast and it tears apart its prey when it catches it at you know whatever speed it, it runs at. I forgot
1: what, how fast a cheetah runs. Uh, incredibly fast, maybe like 80 miles an hour or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah.
0: But even in, in the human world, what we equate speed with, being good at stuff.
1: Why is that? I don't really know. And, and let's just start out by setting the tone here. A cheetah is really fast and it chases down its prey and its prey tends to also be fast, right? It chases down antelopes and things like that. And they're at the appropriate speed, but not for a minute should you think that an 80 mile an hour cheetah is going to have any chance against a one mile an hour elephant. So speed is relative.
0: Mm, okay.
1: That's food <laughs> So <good. laughs> it is, it is. If, if anybody out here has done Nawaza with big Dave, does he need to do his Udi quickly for him to be successful? No, because you can't stop him. He can do it and take all day and it won't matter to him because you can't stop him from doing it because he's just that big and strong. Or being with Mike Voland, who, you know, is a lifelong wrestler and is phenomenal at katagatami. If you're going to do waza with him, you know, you might as well put the money down that you're going to get Kata by him. And he can do it slow as hell and he's going to get you in it anyway. Again, it's the whatever speed is necessary to do the technique. But of course, let's think back to the history of how martial arts came to the United States. We have jujitsu coming to the United States around the turn of the 20th century, but staying very, very behind the scenes. People were doing it truly for self defense. There was no sport involved. It was very small groups of people, and it was often taught to small people and to women, to people that needed to protect themselves it kind of stayed under the radar. But then we get into the 50s and the 60s, and some of the Korean arts started showing up, as well as some of the Chinese arts. They had very quick movements, quick punches, spinning kicks, fast high kicks. It was right around the time simultaneously that television was becoming really popular. We were able to start seeing these things in in movies and television shows, like the Green Hornet, right, which had Bruce Lee and it as Cato and how, how amazingly fast, you know, his kicks were and he'd, you know, kick five people off of a balcony and uh, at lightning speed. And we just made the assumption that that's what it was, right? That's what made a great martial artist that could defeat somebody. It was just being so fast that this guy couldn't possibly tackle you or, or punch you. So we grew up with that mentality that, that fast, you know, wins and it's not entirely true. Fast wins sometimes, no question about it. If I can hit you before you hit me, if I'm faster than you, I hit you first. So awesome, right? But there's other times where that's not the important thing. What I would say is the reaction that your body will do naturally, not the one that you train as a martial artist in, just the one that it does naturally, which is called the flinch response, that's fast enough. That's nature fast. That that's how fast it needs to be. If somebody goes to hit you in your head and you kind of duck your head and throw your hands up to try to block, however fast that was, that was fast enough. I would say then the martial art techniques that follow that flinch response, that's where the training comes in. You've got to be fast enough that that person can't really counter or resist. But I don't even think that's as fast as we practiced in class sometimes. I mean, sometimes I look at people throwing each other in class, and I'm like, damn, I don't know how you're going to take another 10 throws. You guys are just killing each other over there. I I don't think that we have to be quite that fast against uh, uh, an untrained person. I would say just fast enough that they can't counter.
0: I recall we were at a party, and one of the Kobukai senseis was describing a A fight, not really a fight, but something he had witnessed or or happened to him, where it it was in a maybe a concert setting or a bar setting um, or something, and there was a punch that was a haymaker, but that was being thrown at him or somebody near him. And the one thing that he had related was that it looked so slow coming out that he could see it coming, kind of like in the movie Spider-Man, the first one, where uh, <laughs> <laughs> first time he's in an altercation with that big bully and, and he sees the punch coming from a mile away and he's like, wow, that's coming out really slow. That, that's kind of how the sensei described it. Is it because we're training... In class and, and we're going at each other real fast and we're, we're throwing each other real fast that anything outside isn't
1: really as, as fast. I, I think the perception is that way. Right. If we're you know, we, we work ourselves up to a pretty frenetic pace in class because of the familiarity mm-hmm. with the techniques. I mean, we go incredibly fast faster than necessary. So I could very well imagine that somebody grabbing you or somebody punching you might look slow, even though it's fast. It's just not as fast as you're used to seeing. So it probably doesn't seem like it's moving that quickly. That being said, if somebody blindside punches you and you don't see it coming at all, it seemingly came out of nowhere. It was like lightning, you know, (laughs) but if you can see it, Maybe it seems like it's it's a little bit it's a little bit slower. I like to look back to some of the fights that Hicks and Gracie did early on. He's got a movie called Choke, which is I think everybody should watch. It's great. And he's got a couple of fights. And so I've trained a little bit with him and I can tell you he's very, very strong, very solid, and he can be very, very fast. But when he fought, he chose to be none of those things. He chose to keep things very simple, incredibly basic techniques, and take his time. You know, he would put you up against the ropes and just hold a nice clinch, and that person could be doing whatever they wanted while he just waited for the right second to be able to do like a Kosoto Gaki and take him down. And then, you know, did he fly into some spinning armbar? No, he would take a great solid mount and make sure that everything was solid and totally pinned And then, you know, eventually he would uh, let that person, you know, extend his arm and and take an arm bar. So I never considered any of his his fights that he won, which would be like every single one. I never considered them to be fast. They were just correct. He did the correct things to protect himself so that he didn't get hit and punched and kicked and then slowly dispatched the person. And I think when you have technical ability... You do have the choice to slow things down and and make yourself appropriately safe before you execute your techniques.
0: How should we train in class? And you did mention that some of us, we do go a little too fast in class. Are we going too fast in class? How should we train for speed when we're doing techniques day in and day out, doing drilling and then for name also?
1: So it's repetition. It's just endless repetition. And I would say it certainly doesn't have to be fast. You don't have to try to go fast. I would say go at a comfortable pace and just do repetition. Somebody who executes five, I'll make it up, whatever, five kataguruma throws at top speed does not get the same amount of benefit as somebody that practices 500 katagurumas at medium speed. Because those neural pathways that you build between your body motion and your brain in reaction to someone else's movement takes time and takes repetition. So endless, endless drilling and repetition of your techniques until you're like bored is really what's important. I like to tell people, hey, you know, if you're doing a technique and you're going through your repetitions and you're really thinking about what's on TV later, you're probably at the point where your brain is actually starting to make this motion unconscious. Before that, it was all conscious activity. But once you're to the point where you can still execute these techniques and you execute them smoothly and correctly and you're starting to, your brain is starting to wander, your mind, your your brain is actually starting to store these things unconsciously. And that's when you'll be able to pull them out in a real situation. Somebody had had written, I think there was a book called Outliers, and, and it was a book about people that were suddenly famous overnight. And when this person researched them, he found out that none of it was overnight. And he kind of boiled it down mathematically that people had to do something about 10,000 times before they magically were overnight successes. You know, if you think about how many times you throw somebody or do a jujigatami or do an awaza or do an aikijitsu technique over five, six, seven, eight, 10, 15 years, it can be in the tens of thousands of times. And then you're really, really good at what you're doing and you can execute them unconsciously. So I think the rule applies. You just need to do it for a long period of time, many, many reps at a comfortable pace, Occasionally interspersed with having to do that against, you know, completely resistant partners like in Randori or in AWAZA so that you're able to, you know, get the timing that you need against uh, a resistant, a fully resistant opponent, or maybe even a fully attacking opponent. But that combination will make you fast enough in in real life.
0: Before we leave this topic, would it, would it be wrong to try to incorporate resistance or speed during the drilling? to achieve what we're trying to do here.
1: It, it can be done. It just has to be done carefully and purposefully. I think a good instructor will know when to, you know, increase resistance or when to make people go quick, but it's really not the meat of training. You know, if I said, Hey, we're going to go do 10 throws. I would probably tell you do eight of them at comfortable speed and then maybe do the last two fast it's not not much more than that again i am of the belief that speed does not come through trying to be fast but speed comes through familiarity and unconscious recall i think that's what makes you fast and and fast enough so my advice is train 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 drill 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 do techniques over and over and over and over and over again for many years and that you will then you will become in, incredibly good at them and you won't be incredibly good at all of them There are some techniques that just don't lend themselves to who you are, you know, the size of your body, your weight, your natural personality, your natural physical skill. And then there's other ones that do. You know, you go through, you learn everything in a system so you can pass it on and teach it, which is very, very important to give back. But there's also what becomes you and yours and, and your version of the techniques that work for you all the time. You know, by the time you're a black belt for a couple of years, you've really discovered what really, really works for you. And that just becomes your personal arsenal. Now, the hard thing as an instructor is to not teach your personal arsenal, right? Is to teach the same way to every single student all the time. So they have a common experience and so that they can discover their own personal arsenal after five, six, seven years. If you teach your personal arsenal, then it just gets confusing, but that will happen. You will adapt to your own body style, personality, reaction, whatever over, over time.
0: Is there any advantage to going fast as a smaller individual up against a bigger person?
1: There is. Let's take, Two scenarios, because they're very different. So real self-defense on the street, in your house with a home invader, carjacking, any of those type of, of scenarios. Again, you have to do the appropriate speed and the appropriate situation. And if this person is just giant and strong getting into an altercation with them is the worst thing that you can do. So your strategy for self-defense at that point is not engagement, it's disengagement. It's, it's you know removing yourself from the situation, giving them your car, whatever it takes to, to save yourself. You know, there has to be some reality there. When you're in class, you don't have that kind of choice, right, because we're all there to work out together. In those kind of situations, absolutely. I mean, if you can be quick and take advantage of your quickness, then I would absolutely do that. I'm certainly not saying that you shouldn't be fast or that you shouldn't use quickness to your advantage. You should use every weapon provided to you to your advantage. That could be your strength. That could be your size. That could be your flexibility. It could be your quickness. It could be your strength your strategic vision of things. I mean, whatever weapon is available in self-defense, you have to use. But to answer your question directly, yeah, if you can move faster, then they can execute their techniques on you, then you're going to be at a, at a significant advantage. However, that being faster does not come from trying to train faster. You still train at the same pace, still become more and more familiar. It's just that at that moment, you can make the decision to try to move quickly and execute quickly.
0: Is there a danger of going too fast and missing timing and events and, and techniques and does it introduce sloppiness or would I risk getting hit if I try to go too fast or getting caught?
1: Absolutely. And I think everybody has experienced that uh, in class, whether you're working on techniques that are prearranged and you're just training or you're out there actually doing contests, right? Physical contest. I think, Everybody has experienced the trying to go fast and going too fast and it just not working. It being sloppy because, you know, essentially your timings off or your balance is off or you're 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 missing little steps or little pieces of the technique because you're trying to go too fast and and speed became the priority. I'm pretty sure. Everybody along the way has experienced that, and their instructor told them, hey, "Man, just slow down." And as soon as you slow down just you know a notch, things seem to all fall back in place and work. I will say, when you're going against an actual attacker, uh, back to what I was saying before, it has to be the appropriate speed. It can't be too fast, and it can't be too slow. It has to be sort of at the speed necessary for that response. A great example and, and why jujitsu is called jujitsu, with the ju meaning to yield or to give in to, would be if somebody grabbed your your lapel or your, grabs your jacket and just, you know, yanks at you, gives you, you know, the tough man kind of thing, right? We may respond with doing a N Soda Gary, which is a, a great response to a, a lapel grab uh, or a lapel pull. If he just touches my lapel and I just jump at him at 100 miles an hour, maybe I'll get the Esotagarian, but I've given up so much of my own balance and I've created so much dynamic motion, I'm probably going to get dragged down to the ground with him and thrown because I'll be so off balance. Conversely, if he yanks at me and I have resistance and I'm pulling back and I'm not matching, you know, his strength, then there's going to be like a point of contention where now it's going to be very difficult for me to jump in and do an osota Gary because I resisted and now he's changed his mind about how he wants to attack me or or he's let go of my jacket, right? When he pulls, I, I want to match his speed. I don't want him to feel that he has no resistance, and I don't want him to feel like he has resistance. It's a neutral place where he successfully executes what he thinks he's doing, but at the same time I'm using that exact same speed, whatever that is, to execute my technique. That way I stay in balance, he gets off-balanced, I take advantage of my technical ability and, and, and throw that to the ground. You know, some people call that timing, and it is, I guess, is, is a good description. It's, it's how you utilize that period of time during the attack, but it's also the appropriate speed response where I do it as fast as I need to do it to successfully execute the technique. Not too fast, not too slow. Okay, Shan, thank you. I, I don't have any more questions. Great, so when you go back and you train, uh, and you're training at the dojo, my advice to you, no matter what rank you're at, is train at, I would say, 60 to 70% speed. So you're not going half speed. You're kind of in the, in the middle of half speed to, uh, to full speed. You're, you know, you're right in that, in that middle area where you can concentrate on the actual pieces and parts of the techniques, the balance, the off balance. You can feel how the technique works and do that for thousands and thousands of repetitions over a long period of time, and your brain will be fast enough for any situation uh, that comes up.